Welcome to Emotional Intelligence at Work, brought to you by Genos International. Workplace conflicts occur in businesses large and small. Sometimes it's a clash of personalities, perhaps a disagreement over a project, or even far more complex issues. Left unresolved, they can contribute to a toxic and unproductive environment. On this episode of AI at Work, we'll explore how mediation can be the bridge to resolution, fostering healthier work environments. I'm your host, Maria Daggle. My co-host is Genos International CEO, Dr. Palmer, and our special guest is mediation expert, Chris Darmody from Fresh Start. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Marie. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. It's great to have you, Chris. Thanks. It's a great topic and a very timely one, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's timely indeed. Um, In light of one thing in particular that we were discussing previously, uh, we are in an environment where people are highly stressed and anxious. And I imagine, Chris, that conflict is something that a lot of people would be experiencing at work at the moment. Yeah. Look, Marie, I think that um, part of, uh, you you know, understanding conflict and working with conflict is this recognition that conflict always exists in our lives and and in, in the workplace as well. Um, but certainly there are, uh, I guess, over the, you know, the, the course of the last six six months to, to a year, some additional pressures that I think we're seeing are actually, you know, um, putting pressure on people to the extent that, you know, life is stressful, therefore work is stressful and that, you know, um, can lead to, I guess, an increase in workplace conflict or, or conflicts manifesting themselves um, more visibly perhaps in the workplace as a result mm-hmm. of these increased pressure and stress. Chris, how do you define conflict? Look, Marie, I think um, it's, a, it's a really interesting question and I'm going to sort of answer this in a, in a slightly roundabout way, if you don't mind, because look, there are numerous definitions of conflict and it is important for us when we're talking about conflict to, to have a definition, particularly in relation to the workplace, that, that we can work with. But just stepping back for a moment, something that I often like to, to talk to people about when we're having a, a conversation about conflict and and um, identifying what conflict is or isn't, is to, I guess, have a look at words that are similar to or synonyms synonyms for conflict to really help with a deeper understanding of what um, we're talking about as a group. Because, and, and a quick you know, I guess, search of the internet, we come up with words like clash, combat, rivalry, war, contest, animosity, competition, hostility, strife, dissension, dispute, and, and a lot of um, a lot of words along these lines, none of which are particularly um, helpful uh, for our sort of perspective on conflict. And, and often I'll ask people after we've sort of gone through some of these these words is, okay, well, show of hands, um, you know, are, they, are these words of joy or are they, you know, um, bringing up a, about a, a negative trigger? And it's no surprise that most hands will shoot up acknowledging that the words, these words and the concept of conflict as a whole does induce some kind of negative trigger. 
And it's for this very reason that I think it is very helpful to come up with a definition of conflict, particularly in the context of of workplace. Um, So we have a reference point and and that reference point can also assist us to, I guess, neutralise our relationship with conflict. But just quickly, the definition that I like to use is that workplace conflict is friction or opposition between people working together resulting from actual or perceived differences or incompatibilities. And and that notion of perceived is is quite important and I'll unpack that a, a little bit later. So I like this definition for two reasons. It is neutral and it's it's also quite broad. But the key to note is that conflict is about differences and and incompatibilities. Now, these differences could be differences in personality, in styles of communication, in interests, differences in in individual needs, goals, values, beliefs, ideas, or feelings. And when we think about some of the common manifestations of conflict in the workplace, this definition works. So, I guess to to sort of reverse it, I might think that something's amiss with another person and I can't quite put a finger on it, but I'm feeling something about this individual I'm working with. That might just be a simple incompatibility of personality. I might be having negative emotions about an interaction that I've had with someone directly as a result of that interaction and, and that's a communication difference. Another sort of aspect of this is that I might take a view, a different view on, say, a strategic um, element of of the business moving forward um, to to a colleague, and that's an actual incompatibility of perhaps values and goals, or I might be at odds with someone as a result of a work style. Um, I I might like to be super prepared for a meeting. Um, Someone I'm working on a project with may be a bit more sort of on the fly and feel very comfortable with that. But that's going to potentially sort of put me put me out. And that's simply a a result of a a difference in um, in the way we like to work or the way we approach tasks. And so I guess what, what I'm getting at here too is by sort of having an understanding of how broadly this notion of conflict can be applied, I think it's really important for us to recognise that zero conflict in the workplace is is unrealistic. And when we try to hide or pretend that it doesn't exist, we're, we're probably not going to get great outcomes. Chris, based on what you've just explained um, and your definition of conflict, I mean, that that would be happening every day, every minute. So when is a conflict an actual problem? Look, I, I guess there's no um, hard and fast answer to that. At the end of the day, a, a conflict is, is a problem when, I guess, um, people don't recognise that there's a conflict, mm-hmm. um, that they're, they're being continually triggered and, and not responding in a way that's helpful um, within the workplace as a result of that conflict, mm. potentially when a conflict yeah. is impacting other members of a team. So there's yeah. – um, and it really is when, when a conflict just 
is not dealt with is is when it becomes a problem I guess is the short answer there yeah Ben what do you think when does when does conflict become a problem well one of the things that I really liked about what Chris just said is perhaps when an issue is dismissed or not addressed effectively so if you were to say to me Marie gee Ben I really didn't like the way you talked to me in that meeting um could we you know sit down and have a chat about it and I'd said, well, that's because you're one of these two soft wokey types and, uh, you know, grow up or suck it up or whatever, something along those lines. Chris, to me, that's kind of that tipping point. You know, that's the beginning, I think, of an unhealthy, ineffective, ineffective kind of response and relationship forming. That, that's right, Ben. I think that we're, we're conflict um, begins to become problematic is where people, um, there, there are these differences and people stick to these differences without sort of having any, I guess, curiosity or um, recognition that there is there is an issue um, and, and stick to this, I guess, binary notion of right, wrong, win, lose. The way you communicate, you're one of these wokey types, that's not the way it should be done. This is the way I communicate. And where people are not willing to, I guess, um, take a look at their own um, habits and the way that they communicate, because we're talking about communication in, the, in this instance, um, and the way that that impacts other people, not not necessarily from a punitive sense, just from a, oh, okay, well, we've, we've got different ways of approaching this. We've got different ways of dialoguing. And, and that's where it becomes interesting but I think we when we're talking you know so often we're in these fixed notions of right wrong win lose once a conflict is addressed and people really get entrenched and they get stuck in their corners and they're not willing to move out of them and and that's where it just becomes self-perpetuating. Yes it does and what's Mm. interesting about that Chris I think is when we don't bring a lot of self-awareness to situations that can be a lot of our natural starting points or places. Let me give this as an example to try and illustrate what I'm talking about. I went to Harvard University and did their negotiation skills course um, about four or five years ago. Typical Harvard University, you know, they willed out the sort of people who help the Israelis and the Palestinians negotiate things. Um, You know, photos of me with Yassi Arafat, that sort of thing. And um, the way this conference kicked off, and by the way, there were kind of a thousand people in the room and probably half of them were psychologists, is the lead presenter asked you to find a partner and to um, set up as if you're going to get into an arm wrestle with them. And this was the icebreaker to the session. And they said to us, now what we're going to do is give you a million dollars for every arm wrestle that you can win in the next 60 seconds. Everybody ready? Go. So you can imagine an audience all getting together in an arm wrestle like that. What do you think 90% of the people did? What they did is they literally tried to arm wrestle each other and see how many times they could win. What did 10% of the room do? 10% of the room very quickly worked out the win-win, very quickly worked out that what we should do here is win as much money as we can, not by wrestling, but by going like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And so at the end of it, you know, um, there were people there who had uh, both won many, many arm wrestles. And the kind of debrief of it all was when we talk about negotiation, when we talk about mediation, when we talk about conflict, 
um, you know, one of the things to be aware of is that we often don't realise that we step into that with a win-lose mindset rather than a win-win mindset. That's right. And the other thing that, Chris, you got me thinking about, I think, is that mm. in terms of having our own self-awareness around co conflict is that our own language is such a window into when we're tipping in or tipping from, say, healthy conflict to unhealthy conflict. For example, I think as soon as you're using words that describe qualities rather than behaviours, you're starting to walk near that line of unhealthy conflict. Like to come back to my example, oh, Marie, you just feel that way because you're woken a bit too sensitive. Um, you know, like really listening to mm. your own language and the sort of words you use. Now that's a bit more, I'm sure there's actually more subtle versions of that, but um, I should shut up now. I feel like I'm waffling on too much, but Chris, there's some of the thoughts. I'm really Not at all. I think what you've said there, Ben, is interesting, this idea of um, and, and pointing at someone, naming someone and, and pushing the conflict and the issue onto the other let's just use that sort of general notion rather than what we're really trying to do with conflict and it's it's really difficult is just to acknowledge that conflict exists and it sort of sits between us it's not about you um woke person me uh you know a steadfast direct communicator it's it's about acknowledging this space between if that makes sense no it does make sense um and if everybody had the skill set in which to, you know, manage their emotions and communicate um, clearly and in a non-offensive way, then we wouldn't have things like mediation, right, Chris? <laughs> so, what what <laughs> is? I have to find something else. Yep. What is mediation, and when is it needed? Okay, so look. Um, I guess a simple definition of mediation is that it's a process where a third party um, comes in, they're engaged to assist in people that are two people or, or two groups of people or more in conflict um, to, to help them resolve and move through the, the conflict that's between them. And more often than not, uh, the focus of mediation is on this uh, let's call it the joint session, where the parties are in conflict or, sorry, where the parties that are in conflict come together and the mediator, being me, it comes in and we start to work through the issues. Just to break down what we're trying to do at that stage in that joint session is to facilitate a process and I guess create a space for the people in conflict to do a few things. Um, to, to communicate and and so I guess one of the you know as we've been talking in the example you raised Ben one of the unfortunate unfortunate things about um, conflict is one of the first things to go is communication so mediation the aim of mediation in this joint session is to provide a, a space that is a little formal and it's structured to um, recognize that okay it's time to to try to communicate um, the other thing that we're doing is to, I guess, create a space uh, for people to come together with um, an intention or an aim to, to try to one uh, understand what's going on with the conflict but also understand one another's perspectives. 
um, we're aiming to provide a space that allows people to think uh, and and this can take some time. I want to recognise that in, in a joint session, sometimes it can be quite a, a nerve-wracking experience for people initially. But what we're really trying to do, and it's a bit like communication, one of the, the when we're in high conflict in particular, one of the first things to go is our ability to think because we're completely hijacked by what, what's going on in our body. But let's create a space where people can come together to try to to think um, and about what's going on and about, as I said, you know, um, the issues themselves, but also then a, a space where people can be uh, consciously focused on the future. Is, you know, a lot of conflict, sorry, Marie? Is this a one-on-one thing or is it a, could it be a group setting? It can be a group setting. Most of, um, well, I'd say the majority of um, workplace conflicts that I'm involved in, are, sorry, mediations are one-on-one. The, you know, the group setting is possible. Uh, takes a slightly different structure, and I'd sort of see it more as a, a facilitated discussion about you know various issues that are going on within a team. Um, we can use some of the the principles of mediation, and certainly you know agenda the agenda that might um, follow a, a group conversation like that would certainly follow some of the principles of mediation. The idea is the same, um, though to to allow a space for people to communicate to to gain understanding of what's going on, what the issues are in one another's perspective, to, to think and then and look to the future um, with, you know, some, some goal setting um, in mind about, okay, we're in conflict now, okay, where are we heading to in mm-hmm. the future? And that might be, depending on what's, what's going on with the, with the conflict, it may be um, a set of behaviours that are established for moving forward where the, the conflict is perhaps um, an incompatibility or difference in communication or there's been a breakdown of communication or it might be, um, you know, a set of goals that um, recognises an infrastructure that needs to be put in place or a process that needs to be put in place, whether it's, you know, regular meetings, mm-hmm. um, depending on what, what's going on. Okay. Chris, this sounds really interesting. When you bring people together, do you do anything to help them kind of understand their thinking state? You know, for example, do you explain the neuroscience of emotions? When you're in conflict, you're often experiencing unpleasant emotions, which can narrow your perspective, limit your interpretation of events, set you up for kind of fight or flight kind of behaviours and that can get in the way of, you know, coming together, sharing perspectives, engaging in sense-making. Do you sort of set the scene like that when you first bring people together? Absolutely, Ben, and, and that's a really important part of the mediation process. So I guess what I've been just running through there was, I get the aim of the, the joint session, but a, a significant um, piece of the mediation work goes on in the first instance with me and the two individuals, let's say we're talking about two individuals who are in conflict at separate intake sessions. And one of the key focuses of those intake sessions is is to coach 
each party individually in a, in a safe space to help them understand and analyse what's what's going on. And that um, that aspect of acknowledging uh, body responses, um, acknowledging uh, well being self aware is a is a really important part of that initial. I call it an intake session where people have the opportunity to, you know, really sit sit for a moment, recognise that this is causing them physical difficulty and, and really feel those emotions and understand perhaps a bit about w- what's going on there. But then that helps them really identify what what the triggers are in in certain behaviour, in what's going on with the conflict, so they can have an understanding of okay, well, why why has that triggered? Um, have any of my values been compromised? Is my identity challenged by what's going on? Because a, a really important part of preparing people to come to the table is to understand what's going on um, with themselves. Not in a sense of, you know, oh, and, and now I'm going to fall on my sword because it's all my fault. It, it, it's not that at all. It is about really understanding that there's something deeper um, with all of us when it comes to conflict and, and you know, it, it may simply, well, not simply, it's an important aspect of conflict that um, whatever is going on may be um, really impacting us at a, at a deep level. Chris, what are people's questions to you before all this starts to like I can imagine you know I'm somebody who I feel has been abused by a particular manager at work do people like that say to you oh are you going to manage this person's behavior what if they start you know yelling at yelling at us in the mediation or do you get sort of questions like that from people yeah, or yeah. Something a similar. lot, and and look, I think it is for me recognizing that, you know, I, I work in this all day, every day. I have and and come to conflict with a neutral approach, but if, for everyone coming, um, by the time mediation is brought in, it's it's often at that dire state where parties haven't been able to to deal with it themselves. The organisation needs to call someone in, like myself, and so there is a lot of anxiety about. Um, the process, the outcomes, and and what will happen if we can't um, reach an agreement. I feel unsafe uh, with this person. Uh, anytime I dialogue with them, they they come at me like a ton of bricks. So part of my role is first of all to acknowledge that and and understand that the, these anxieties are real for um, the people that I'm working with, but then really make sure that. Um, assure them that the space that I'm providing is safe and part of that is establishing some, for a better word, rules of engagement in terms of respectful communication, um, you know, not pointing the finger, really trying to understand one another's perspective to try to be future-focused and and assuring and then following through to ensure that that space is a safe space. Also, confidentiality is a is a big one um, for for clients that I work with. Uh, for for me personally, the the confidentiality around the mediation is is really important. People do need to be able to feel that they can speak 
freely within the rules of engagement and and speak openly to be vulnerable to to have that opportunity to really genuinely assess their behavior um but they need to be feel comfort that anything they're saying within the the mediation framework is not going to to come back to bite them it it does require that mm. that space for for people to be genuinely vulnerable which allows for the self reflection um and reflection of what might be going on for other people to to really progress in a meaningful way mm. so we're hearing some great techniques here one is um to help people understand how they are personally around conflict and how they need to come into mediation we're hearing some other great techniques around sort of setting the ground rules and the tone and um, sort of helping people understand how they need to turn up and be in order for the mediation to go well and to be effective. Chris, how long does this process take and what are the steps involved? Okay. Um, look, the process itself can take, you know, can be um, moved through quite quickly uh, if there's a need. So the steps uh First up, I need to do an intake session with, let's say we're talking about two parties, each party. Um, That's often done on Zoom or depending on where we are in person. And that can be sometimes one session, sometimes two sessions. But if there's a real need to to get this mediation and get these individuals into mediation, those sessions can be accomplished uh, in a week. And then the following week, we can be moving into mediation. So if there is a need, um, the whole process can be achieved in in a couple of weeks. And how, what's the, um, is there a success rating? How, How, you know, how often do these things work? In terms of the mediation uh, itself, I would say 95% of the time uh, the parties have a plan for moving forward and and the mediation I would deem to be successful. Uh, and a, an important part of goal setting and moving forward is then uh, establishing some, some milestones, some check-ins. Now, whether or not parties are able to continue um, and, and be you know, make one another accountable for what they've agreed uh, as actions or behaviours for moving forward, that that varies. And I don't often get insight to that. Um, however, the times that I do, I am brought in to, I guess, work with the parties to have that, that reassessment conversation. And, and generally speaking, it works because it gives parties this opportunity. Mediation is allowing them to communicate um, and approach this issue in a, in a way that they're not able to themselves. So my perspective is good results. In, in terms of success factors, you know, people do need to be willing to let go of some of the, the more binary notions of conflict, i.e. win-lose, right-wrong. Vulnerability um, plays a big part and, and a willingness for, for parties to be vulnerable and, and for parties to be vulnerable, there does need to be a safe space for people to be operating in. And I, I mean that in a in a general sense as well as a physical sense. Rapport and trust of the mediator is, is a big one. Um, a willingness to explore 
it's important for parties to have a growth mindset to exercise some curiosity and flexibility and a lot of that work needs to be done at the at the pre-mediation stage mm-hmm. uh, and and some you know a, a willingness or a, a some faith and hope and and come with a, a sense of creativity. And it sounds to me like a lot of what is required in the pre-meditation stage is emotional intelligence. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of the coaching that's done in terms of bringing people to med- mediation is also um, very emotionally intelligent kind of, op- you know, in its operation, helping people be curious, helping people be in a relaxed emotional state understanding how emotions are affecting mm. their thinking and so Do on. Do you see Absolutely. a rising need for mediation, Ben, like when you're out there working and speaking to all of your clients? I do at the moment. I think cost of living pressures are elevating levels of stress and anxiety. And as a result of that, I think people are turning up at work in a unconscious, subtle state of fight or flight. An analogy I'd use is, when you've got a stone in your shoe for five minutes, it's not a big problem. When you've had a stone in your shoe for five days, every little knock on the side of that shoe really, really hurts. And so I think when people are in elevated levels of stress and anxiety, every little kind of knock, bump, um, thing that wasn't quite said quite wide at work can result in inflamed kind of behaviour, and I think that's driving... Um, the need for mediation more. And it's complex. The labour market on top of all this, of course, is very tight. I was working with one of the departments of education around the country the other day on psychological safety. And a lot of the managers that I was working with said, we get all this stuff, we really like it, and the need for it. We are, some at the moment, too frightened to talk to some of our staff about their kind of subtle behaviours that aren't quite right because talking with them about it may result in them just hanging up the boot and saying, I've had enough of this place and I'm off. Quite literally, that was kind of the response that came came back. And I mean to share it just to, I guess, put on the layer of complexity to this conversation that exists for a lot of um, people managers in business and just to help us all step back and, and think about, you know, the need for having these really good kind of pre-skills to conflict that Chris is talking about, curiosity, flexibility, an understanding of emotions and what's going on for people. The discussion that ensued with these managers that I was talking about before was kind of along these lines that we still do need to help people understand when their behaviour is not right but perhaps what we need to do is also work with more equity in how it's addressed. In other words, providing a little bit more grace, having the conversation for a little bit more, trying to help not necessarily make that conversation feel like another large knock on the side Mm. of a shoe that's had a stone in it for five days, if that metaphorically makes sense. um... I love the idea of that grace period um, yeah. at these times. and I. But I also think given that it is a tight labour market, I understand why some people may not want to raise or, or cause conflict or tap someone on the shoulder and go, you know, mate, you can't act like that. But I think avoiding it is far riskier because the impact 
is greater for longer and, and ripples through an entire company. Would you agree, Chris? Do you th- what do you think the risks of conflict avoidance are? I think that, um, look, at the end of the day, and I know Ben's touched on this, is conflict avoidance um, does compromise psychological safety of any sort of organisation. Um, a tendency for people to opt out of conflict, I would say, is an indication that the people are not feeling safe within that organisation and they're not feeling as though they can be um, bringing ideas or issues to the fore. Um, and so I guess, you know, more directly that in answer to that question, if, if you know, issues that that stone stays in the shoe you know and and so then the the slightest little bump does does um tip things in a in a way that they otherwise might might not um if this if the stone was removed and i think a, a veneer of harmony is is risky because um you know you can have this veneer of harmony but then that that there can be gossip and gaslighting on the side. Um, there's a risk that indirect conversations start to happen, alliances start to form. Um, there are assumptions being made about um, one or or other team's behaviour or individuals' behaviour, and and so that's where conflict can you know by by avoiding conflict it, it can fester and those stories I think a, a big part of of conflict and the, the the cycle of conflict are these t- stories that we tell and the assumptions we make um, that, that are going on in our own in our own head that can be exacerbated um, you know when when there's additional stress and anxiety that stone in the shoe so I think you know avoiding or opting out of conflict is is um, is, is dangerous for organisations. In our emotional intelligence program for leaders, we talk a lot about the behaviour, the subtle behaviours that you walk past um, can self-perpetuate larger ones, you know. So when you don't pull up slight innuendo, people talking about other people's qualities, um, you know, that subtle stuff, when you let that go, the next week what was subtle one week's now even a bit like the goalposts keep shifting on it and it starts to self-perpetuate um, and reach those sorts of things, Chris, that you're talking about. So we really encourage in our programs leaders to um, jump on slightly disrespectful behaviour quickly and early and do, you know, have a keen eye for it as a way of helping to keep workplaces psychologically safe and, and and not for this opportunity for conflict to subtly and unintentionally, unintentionally kind of build up, if you like. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show and talking to us about uh, mediation and conflict resolution, a very, very important topic, uh, especially right now. Thank you. Pleasure, Marie. And, and thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's It's been terrific to talk about this. Yeah, likewise, Chris. Very timely topic with everything that's going it on is indeed. in our worlds right Thank now. You. Thank you.